0: Hi everyone. Just a heads up, today we're bringing you an episode that we recorded a few months ago. We never got around to producing it, but seeing as how Isaiah Thomas and FAI are on the front page of ESPN right now, that was a good time to release it. Some of the information, such as the fact that Isaiah Thomas is playing on the Celtics in this episode is outdated, but the medical part of it should remain relevant. Thanks for listening and hope you enjoy it. Today's patient is cold-blooded Isaiah Thomas, 5'9", 185-pound male from the University of Washington and now star point guard for the Boston Celtics. On March 15th, Thomas sustained a hip injury and subsequently a reaggravation on May 19th in Game 2 of the Eastern Conference Finals. MRI confirmed a diagnosis of FAI as well as a labral tear. We'll talk a little bit more about what this means for Isaiah Thomas as well as for your patients. I'm Ben Davis, faculty physician at Swedish First Hill Family Medicine Residency. And I'm Jeremy Johnson. I'm a sports medicine physician
1: from the Polyclinic in Seattle, Washington. And this is The Break. Who was talking about you? Tree, don't you open your
0: mouth. I'm just here so I won't get fined. All right, so Isaiah Thomas, one of my uh, probably my second favorite Husky uh, in Husky basketball history, second to Brandon Roy. Shout out to Brandon Roy. I know he's not listening to this podcast, but you never know. So, the, the the story for Isaiah, in March, uh, mid-March, he sustained a hip injury, and then subsequently in May, twice, during once during the Raptor Series, and then most notably Game 2 in the Eastern Conference Finals, he uh, re-aggravated that hip injury. They did an MRI and found out it was a labral tear, and secondary to FAI, or Femoral Acetabular Impingement Syndrome. Jeremy, number one, what the heck is FAI? What is, what is it getting impinged? Is this the same thing? You know, we always talk about rotator cuff impingement. Is this the same thing as rotator cuff impingement? Like, what, what's going on here?
1: Well, I love this type of diagnosis because basically the name, femoral acetabular impingement, describes the patho- pathophysiology exactly. So it's basically the bone, the femur, and the cup, the acetabulum, are shaped in a way that causes those two bones to touch each other in certain positions. That pinching of those two bones and the tissues in between them, typically the labrum, causes damage and pain. Basically, there's two types of FAI, or femoral acetabular impingement. There's the cam type and the pincer type. The cam type involves extra bone right where the femoral head meets the femoral neck. The pincer type involves an acetabulum in which there's too much overhang or it's a kind of a, the cup is too deep is another way to think about it. And actually, in the majority of cases, actually up to 80%, they have a combined type where they have both cam and pincer. It's more common in males and is usually actually associated with skiffy or slip capital femoral epiphysis. We're not sure if this is actually the true cause of it, but we often see this in athletes and we think this might be an overloading injury when people are young that ends up causing a change in the shape of that. Humeral neck, uh, and femoral head junction shape. The, to answer your question about the rotator cuff, <laughs> no, <laughs> this is not the same. <laughs> so so what, what is getting, what's getting pinched in um, external shoulder impingement, what we usually talk about in the majority of shoulder impingement, is the rotator cuff and the bursa between the humeral the head and the chromium. And the mechanism of that action is actually weakness in the rotator cuff. When the rotator cuff is not working, it's not depressing that humeral head into the cup, and therefore it's floating up under the pressure of the deltoid, pulls it back up. That causes the space between the humeral head and the acromion to be less, pinching those two tissues. Whereas FAI is a bony issue, rotator cuff impingement
0: is a muscle issue. Great, thank you. I'm going to sleep much better tonight knowing that they're different. So this is an insidious process, right? What should physicians, number one, look out for for their patients? But I've actually had a number of physicians come up to me saying, I I wonder if I have FAI. So what what should people be looking out for themselves? And also, when you have a patient come to the office, what are the questions you should be asking them? Yeah, you're right.
1: This is not an acute injury. This is
0: really something that is um,
1: part of someone's anatomy that's there likely from the time in their childhood, Typically, it presents around someone who is 20 to 30 years old. It is more common in males. And the most typical presenting sign is anterior hip pain that gets worse with activity, is kind of achy and dull and poorly localized. Usually, it's exacerbated with, again, activity or even prolonged sitting. All these things sound like arthritis to me, but they shouldn't be in a 20 and 30 year old, right? Right. And so it's they're really going to present similar to hip arthritis in terms of that anterior hip pain.
0: So that's nice. You can put things in buckets there where they, it looks exactly the same for the most part, except it's just the age group that kind of separates the two. right? What about, you, you? so you say there's two different age groups. Do you ever think about FAI in an older group? I know you probably don't think of osteoarthritis in a younger group, but is there someone who maybe wasn't as active in their lifetime and, you know, suddenly decides to play soccer or go running and have these symptoms come up later in life. So I think what's interesting is actually
1: FAI is quite prevalent in the general population. A lot of people are asymptomatic. So it's thought that there's about 10 to 15 percent of people with FAI don't have any symptoms at all. So you may see someone that shows up later with hip pain from an overuse injury and you do an x-ray and it looks like they have either cam or pincer impingement Um, oftentimes those individuals that aren't presenting till later maybe have a milder um, case and less impingement and only shows up um, later on in life. One of the bad things about FAI is that it does lead to more wear and tear in the joint. And so this is often a cause of early osteoarthritis, labral tears, and oftentimes these symptoms can be really um, debilitating.
0: You you mentioned labral tears, and we, we got to touch on it just a little bit since that's kind of the big injury that people are worried about. Encompassing everything about the labral tear, prognosis-wise and recovery-wise, how do the majority of patients get back to the, their previous baseline, or is this something that continues to degenerate and hinder people as they go forward?
1: When I see patients with this that has documented FAI on imaging and their exams consistent with it, I almost always start with conservative therapy. So that means physical therapy, just to see if there's something else going on. And oftentimes I'll actually do an injection. The the type of injection I'll do is a hip joint injection. And that's both diagnostic and therapeutic. So what I mean by that is if you do an injection into the hip and they get better, that likely means that the hip pain is coming from the joint itself. Things that cause hip joint pain are arthritis in the joint, FAI, labral tears, and cartilage damage in the joint, which is this another form of arthritis. And so all those will respond. If someone actually gets a benefit from a steroid injection, is doing PT, and then gets worse again, I'm actually going to refer them to surgery. What we know about surgery is that people tend to get better in terms of their symptoms. What we don't know yet is if that slows the progression to arthritis. So far, it looks like it does, but that's Still, kind of a question that hasn't been answered by research yet. Typically, people do really well with surgery in terms of their symptoms. It is usually a a six to twelve week recovery, depending on how big of a surgery they have to do.
0: So Isaiah was um, recently noted for saying he wanted to play until he was age forty. What if you were to give him a, a risk benefit scenario about the arthritis, but also you know improving with surgery? Would you say like the arthritis may hit him before 40 or is he safe? So I think
1: that all depends on what his imaging looks like. I don't know if we have any information about that.
0: We do not have his imaging. <laughs> I've, actually, I've actually <laughs> snuck into <laughs> but, but, um, it. So uh, it's going to be on the link uh, below. You can see the actual <laughs> image from Isaiah. No. So what I'll tell you about his
1: recovery is that if he wants to continue playing and he's this symptomatic at this point, he may benefit from surgery to keep him that way. But what I'll tell you is that some surgeons are much more conservative than others. So if he has any cartilage damage, most surgeons will still do surgery if he has a very little amount of cartilage damage. That's very variable. And some surgeons, if there's any sign of cartilage damage, they won't do surgery at all. He's a high level athlete he's symptomatic. My guess is that he will find a surgeon who will try to keep him playing because that's his goal. He may need an early hip replacement either way to help with his symptoms. My guess is that the surgeon is probably going to lean more towards surgery.
0: I think one of the things that I enjoy about FAI, as you were saying, is that you can get this kind of robust history, even though it's a little vague, but it it kind of is... um... It's specific in a way because it's such a young age population. When they come in and you suspect FAI, what are your go-to physical exam maneuvers?
1: Yeah, there's really three that I go to for this. So number one is range of motion. So usually patients are going to be have more pain as you bring them to hip flexion. Some of them will even have decreased hip flexion. Typically normal is about 130 degrees. And if you see someone kind of at the 110 degrees or less that's that has something going on in their joint, also, they'll have decreased internal rotation. Remember, that's when your foot actually goes towards the outside. I always get that confused. So typically, they'll have somewhere 30 degrees or less of internal rotation. And then there's two joint-specific exam maneuvers that I always use, and that's the their name for exactly what they do. So Fader and Faber. So Fader is F-A-I-D-I-R, flexion, adduction.
0: Did I spell that right? You said F A I. D-E-N-F-A-I-N. Oh, gosh.
1: That's what it should be. So that's a whole new exam. But F, so Fader F-A-D-I-R, flexion, adduction, and internal rotation. That usually causes anterior joint pain in these individuals. And then the other exam is Faber, F-A-B-E-R, or flexion, adduction, and external rotation. Another name for this is Patrick's test. And if they have pain in the front of their hip, this specific specific for the joint. You may also remember that that test, if, it's, if they have pain in the SI joint, that is usually pain emanating from the SI joint and not the, the hip joint itself. So I usually do those three. I'll always do range of motion and those two other special tests. And if those are leading me towards a hip joint pathology, those are the ones that I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards and a, a possible diagnosis of FAI.
0: So you do the exam, great history, positive physical exam, imaging, what are you looking for? Um, Let's just say the difference between somebody who just suspect FAI and they want to investigate further versus somebody who comes in and you suspect a labral tear. So I usually at this point would get x-rays and I'm
1: looking for those specific bony changes. There's all these specific measures that's not really that important um, for this conversation, but you're looking for the the shape of the acetabulum and the femoral head neck junction. And then it's all really driven by the patient's desires. So if they are having a lot of symptoms um, and want to do an injection, I'll do an injection. If they're having a lot of symptoms and don't want to do an injection, we'll start with PT. At that point, if we're talking about injections, I I bring up the conversation of surgery for this. And really what that conversation revolves around is, again, like we talked about, if they get benefit from this injection and their symptoms come back, They may benefit from surgery. Usually planning for surgery requires an MRI arthrogram. And remember, that's the type of imaging that we need to see the labrum and the cartilage is we need to put contrast into the joint or the arthrogram. And that would help us understand
0: if they're going to be a candidate for surgery or not. So one of the classic questions that we ask on this podcast, is there anything that we need to look out for moving forward, uh, specifically for Isaiah that might put him at increased risk for reaggravating or re-injuring his hip. So I
1: treat this a lot like,
0: uh, unfortunately, like arthritis.
1: So that's actually really hard for a high-level athlete. So I usually tell them to avoid pounding activities, avoid jogging, um, which isn't going to happen for Isaiah. Yeah. So for him, I think it really is going to be up to his personal trainers, his strength trainers to avoid activities that are going to make it worse for him. So He's probably not going to benefit a lot from doing a lot of deep squats, a lot of any sort of um, exercises that put him in deep hip flexion, and saving his um, pain for the games, I guess you could say. It is going to be really important for him that he is strong in his other muscles around his hip, that way that, you can, that those muscles don't put or undo tension on the joint itself by supporting them rather than uh, relying on the joint space to take it in. However, I would say the evidence is kind of uh, scant on whether PT actually helps this.
0: Um, a big kind of a question that feels like a question mark moving forward, right? So most, pain,
1: <laughs> so I would
0: say that most
1: people can tolerate the pain, and we can do a lot of things to help that pain. So including injections or surgeries, like we talked about, both of those tend to help the pain a lot. And the really hope is that we can kind of stave off hip replacement as long as possible. Sadly, the majority of these patients who are very symptomatic are going to require a hip replacement in their early 50s.
0: Is this, uh, this is definitely not in your realm of expertise, but if you were the general manager of the Boston Celtics <laughs> and you were thinking about um, giving Isaiah Thomas a big contract, how much does this FAI play? Into your thought process of, is this guy going to be anything like he was before?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, he's a great player. He's an athletic person. And oftentimes people at his level can perform whether they're in pain or not. And I think if he has a surgery or he's able to get some interventions that help him with his pain, he's going to get back to his old level. Right,
0: that's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> I, I, I was just gonna edit it out if you had anything negative to say. <laughs> <laughs> the break is produced by Ben Davis. Special thank you to Jeremy Johnson for joining me today and Swedish First Del Family Medicine Residency. For more medical podcasts, you can search Grayscale, that's G R E Y, for wherever you get your podcasts. And no, it is not based off of Game of Thrones. For any questions, you can email breakthepodcast at gmail.com.